0: Indeed, O God, we glory in the fact that Emmanuel has arrived, that he has been sent from his heavenly home to take up residence among us, such that he might live the life we should have lived, and then died the death that we should have died, to make for himself a people a people who would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, set aside to bring Him glory and delight. We are those people, and we have come, O God, in the hopes that You will find, that You will take pleasure in what You see emanating from the the depths of our souls. Father, find here among us those true and genuine worshipers, People who understand that it is not form nor liturgy, but it is relationship. It is a relationship with you through faith in Christ that allows us to worship aright. And might our worship be pleasing and acceptable before the grand celestial audience of one. And Father, we are a people who understand that we have failed you this past week. We come to ask for your forgiveness and repent all over again, knowing that there is grace and mercy and help to be found in our times of need. We come to ask for grace to live out those those statutes and commandments that you have entrusted to us. We know we fail, Father, but we ask for grace to live obediently, not because it will earn anything in your sight, but because it is a reflection and a statement of our love for thee. Now, Father, accept our gifts. Might they be used to expand the kingdom of Christ and that alone? Father, use every dime. Stretch it so that men will hear about the eternal gift that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Life indeed. Eternal life an indescribable gift in your Son. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen. Thank you. Open your copies of God's Word, if you will, to Acts chapter 8, and let's continue our study of that book. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. You follow as I read. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the, into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. One of the uh, rather interesting developments, at least from my vantage point, in the days uh, immediately following 9-11, was the number of people, particularly preacher types, who uh, pointed to the fact that they believed that the events of 9-11 were obviously strokes of God's judgment and wrath upon our nation um, because of her corporate sins. Now, one of the most vocal and um, notable of such claimants was the Reverend Jerry Falwell, who uh, the media absolutely crucified, as if he had been the only one to believe such a thing or to say such a thing around this country. And a few days later, um, he, (laughs) under media pressure, retracted his statement and apologized, and I, for one, was glad that he did. But uh, at the same time, here's the point, or kind of the point, um, at the same time that all this was going on, that is, that poor Jerry Falwell was being crucified for what uh, a position that he took, which I did not take, and, and I, I was chagrined that others had, but be that as it may, um, while all this was going on and every such flack had been uh, aroused because of such a position, at the same time in gatherings all over this country... Uh, in Yankee Stadium and at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. They had all these gatherings that were taking place. People just kind of getting together and and uh, doing something, you know, in response to 9-11. And at those gatherings, so many of them were singing songs. And one of the songs that they sang was the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Do you not see the, do you remember the words of the battle hymn of the Republic? It goes like this. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed his faithful lightning like a terrible swift sword. Now, guys, do you see any contradiction here? All over the country, people are up in arms about Jerry Falwell making a statement about God uh, judging America. And and you know, oh forsooth and anon, that some idiot preacher would say something stupid like that. And then they go out and sing a song that celebrates the fact that God is moving through the earth and judging it. <laughs> I thought that was kind of comical myself. But um, that's really not my point. My point is that last line of that song, or at least last line of the stanza goes, as you know, His truth is marching on. I say that, guys, because when I read and studied this passage, really not so much this passage, but as this whole section of the book of Acts, that's what it reminded me of. The truth of God cutting a swath. Through the culture of that day as it marched forward. Uh, let, Let me somewhat explain. We've already covered Acts chapter 7. And we saw Stephen stand up in front of the Sanhedrin and preach and remind the Sanhedrin... Of their own history and then of course in that closing statement which was really kind of inflammatory he accused them of murdering the righteous one and um, and then of course he says he see and of course they respond by killing him then we come to chapter 8 in the first 25 verses that we looked at last week we find Philip leaves Jerusalem heads down to uh, up to Samaria And as a result of his preaching, the whole region is converted. Some of them uh, rather um, questionable, Simon being one of them. And then in the last half of chapter 8, you get a story about an Ethiopian eunuch who had just left the city of Jerusalem on a pilgrimage and as he's leaving, Philip comes alongside and he hears that inside of the, the little coach that he's riding in, he's studying the book of Isaiah. And as you, you can, I hope you were listening as I read, you just see what happens as he gets up into the, um, uh, the little coach and, and um, explains Isaiah to him. And then the Ethiopian eunuch prays to receive Christ. Now guys... Pause for a minute and and consider that. Uh, Acts chapter 7, a group of uh, blue-blooded, card-carrying, full-blooded Jews hear the gospel and are enraged. So much so that they stone Stephen. Next chapter, we come to Samaritans. Half-blooded, mixed breeds, intermarried with Gentiles, hated by Jews. They hear the gospel and respond with glory, uh, glory, with acceptance of all that they heard. The second half of of chapter 8, you find an Ethiopian eunuch. There was no blood at all, no Jewish blood flowing in those veins. He was a Gentile. And and if I can throw this also into the mix, we hadn't gotten there yet, but chapter 9 you're going to find a story about the conversion of the Apostle Paul, whose name was Saul, where he is struck down by the risen Savior and is converted and goes on to become, next to Jesus, the most significant personage in the history of mankind. How did all that happen? How is it that a whole region is converted, a... Full-blooded Jew is good. And and one of the interesting things that I thought is you go from Jews to half Jews to non-Jews. You go from the Sanhedrin, you go to the Samaritans that are half Jews, you go to the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a non-Jew. You've got different countries, you've got different societies, you've got different social relationships, you've got people who are different intellectually. You've got some people in Samaria who were carried away by magic. You've got people who are different socially, religiously, intellectually. Their status is different. They're from different sections of the country. They're people all up and down the economic scale. One serves a queen. The others are commoners. The Jews, one of those Jews, those full-blooded Jews, gets struck not by a rock, but by the truth. My point is this, gang. What is it that that produces such reaction, varying reaction, in in all of these stories? Look with me at chapter eight, verse five. Philip was preaching Christ. Look at chapter eight, uh, verse thirty-five. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning at this scripture preached, Jesus to it. Gang, I, I hope you see where I've, I'm going. The way to explain all this reaction is the preaching of Jesus Christ. The thing that, that binds all of these stories together and explains all of this various reaction with different people in different places of different cultures of different ethnic um, uh, origins is the preaching of the gospel. The one common element in all of these settings is somebody is preaching Christ to them and on some occasion it produces conversion and on other occasions it produces a stoning. But what you're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, is the truth of the gospel as it is born by its representatives that is cutting a swath through all of that landscape, both culturally and physically. Christ is preached, and for some, it is an aroma of life unto life, for others, It is an aroma of death. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth continues to march. And the specific truth that I want to draw your attention to is simply that these men are faithful to preach Christ. They are preaching about Jesus Christ. You know, I um, I make some claim, not a, not a very big one, but I make some claim to being uh, a theologian. I um, I love to teach systematics, as you saw in the bulletin. I'm teaching it again in January, and love to do that. I um, I enjoy theological dialogue and debate. I do. And I hope that uh, Gracie Van is a place that is known as being theologically adroit. I hope you do know the ins and outs of theological dialogue, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I hope you can say that all of your little theological ducks are in a row. But if the truth that you possess does not emanate from Christ as its center and its source, then you're no more than a theologically educated religionist. Gang, if, if you have become a part of, of Grace Evangelical Church or are drawn here in some way because you think that we're all on the same theological page, let me make sure that you understand the theological page that we're on. Because the theological page that we're on has printed at the top and in the bottom, Jesus Christ, and on every line in between. Gang, it does not matter what your views of baptism or eschatology or even the sovereignty of God happen to be. The thing that drives us, that compels us, the thing that innervates our mission and fuels our strategy is a grasp of what Jesus Christ has done and who Jesus Christ is. That's what you see taking place in these stories. All over the countryside, Philip and Stephen and Paul are preaching a gospel that centers upon Christ and Him crucified. And it produces reaction galore. Some positive, some negative. My friends, no matter how much truth you possess, if you err over who he is and what he has done, your erudition will serve only to damn you. It's about Christ. That you must be perfectly clear. That is what I see happening in these stories that I'm reading you. Is that men are in possession of of a message about a risen Savior. And they broadcast it far and wide. And some people respond favorably. And others respond in abject horror. But the essence of their message is not whether we sprinkle or immerse. It is not whether we are pre-mill nor post-mills. The essence of their message is that Christ was crucified and three days later was raised from the dead. Gang, All of these men, Stephen, he knew Christ, he preached Christ. Philip, he knew Christ and he taught Christ. Paul, he knew Christ and he lived for Christ. Do you know the Christ that is the center of the message that's being explained in Acts chapter 8? I am... I would hope that our comments would prepare us for the table, but let me tell you a, a, a quick story, and and then we'll move to enjoy the sacraments. But in World War II, there was a, a group of American soldiers who were fighting in the in the French countryside, and and in the one uh, particular battle, they lost one of their friends. One of their friends was shot and killed, and and so um, after the battle had subsided. They decided that what they wanted to do is take their friend and give him a nice Christian burial. And they remembered that about a couple of miles behind the the front lines, there was a little church with a cemetery at the side of it that was enclosed by a white fence. And so after seeking and gaining permission to do so, they took their fallen comrade and they took him back to this church to give him a decent Christian burial. They knocked on the door of the church and, uh, and an old priest um, uh, bent over, hunched back, came to the door and who didn't speak a whole lot of English, but he spoke enough that they could uh, exchange what they were saying. And and so they told the priest that they wanted to bury their friend in the cemetery next to the church. And the priest said, I'm sorry, we can only bury people who are of the same faith here. So these American soldiers were disgruntled and disappointed and ticked and they turned around to walk away. And uh, the priest hollered after him and said, but wait a minute, you can bury him right on the other side of that fence. So they thought, well, that's their best option. So they set to work and dug a hole and buried their friend. And when they did as they were finishing and when they finished, it was well after nightfall. They went back to their camp. The next morning, they were told it was time to move out. They were headed someplace else. And so they once again wanted to run back and say goodbye to their friend that they had just buried the night before. So when they came back to the church, they couldn't find his grave. So they knocked on the door again. The same priest opened up the door and they said, Sir, last night we were disoriented. It was late. We can't find the grave where we buried our friend. And the priest replied, he said, gentlemen, uh, after you left last night, I was so struck with what I had told you and so ashamed of what I had said that this morning I got up early and I moved the fence. Now, guys, the point of that story is simply this. Jesus Christ doesn't move fences. He tears them down. When you hear the gospel about this Savior, He does one of two things in your life. He either establishes Himself as the Lord of your life, He either becomes an aroma of life, or He becomes an aroma of death. And the truth of Jesus Christ Cuts a swath through every heart. Gang, has that truth taken up its rightful place in your soul? Ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, I I want you to be certain about the things that you believe. But we can afford to have a little bit of fogginess about some things. About Him and what He has done, we can afford no confusion. Christ and Him crucified is who we celebrate around this table. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you will remind your people that ultimately Christianity is not a bunch of information about Jesus Christ. It is the description of a relationship that men can have with Jesus Christ. And I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room understands that their whole eternity pivots On what thoughts they think about Jesus Christ. Might he be enthroned in every heart in this room? We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.